Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome in another episode of the House of L podcast. I am the L of the House of L podcast. I'm Lawrence Holmes. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. We've got a great guest. I'm so happy. Like we've been playing email tag, phone tag, Instagram messenger tag for forever. But I finally got Courtney Guzman on the show and I got her on the show as she's packing up and moving to Cleveland. We're going to talk about that coming up in a little bit. Uh, thanks. I wanted to say this on the front end. I'm sure I'll say it on the back end too. But last week was a really great week for the podcast because we went over 500,000 unique downloads. And like that, I know that number doesn't seem like a huge thing. I mean, we've been doing this for two years. But considering that this was a weekly podcast, and it had to do with media. I'm I was surprised that we were able to get here. Like we did, I think 175,000 in the first year, and I was shocked by that. And then this year, obviously, we did 325. And now I think that next year we can, or this year, I guess technically rolling into this next year of House of L, year three of House of L, we can get to a million or more which is crazy. And I'm really happy. It's so weird to think about the creative aspect of stuff like this. I've mentioned it on Twitter and I promise you we'll get to Courtney Guzman in a minute. I mentioned this on Twitter. I want to legitimately thank the people at the university of Alabama and specifically one of my professors, Wilson Lowry, he's, a big reason why House of L exists. I'm taking his entrepreneurial journalism class. This is 2018. I'm taking his class and he had us put together an entrepreneurial excursion. Like, what were we going to do? What was going to be our thing? And I was like, well, I've been thinking about doing a podcast. So why don't I do a podcast as a project? And so he worked with all of us on how to build a podcast or whatever it is that we were going to do. If we were going to build a website, like that sort of thing. And I remember talking with him and he's like, you know, you could just make this your thing. It doesn't have to be just a class project. And like the light clicked on and he was working with me on like Google analytics and he was sending me stuff that I should read about starting a podcast and his big thing is, is MVP, minimal viable product. And it's one of the things that I talk to people about podcasting now. Everyone wants for the podcast to be perfect from the moment that the first episode launches. 
And the truth is, no matter how much planning you do, it's never going to be exactly the way that you want it or like you imagine it in your mind. It's going to take generations of trial and error for you to get the sound that you like, to get the concept that you like, to get how much time you want to spend on each particular episode. Like I'm 130 episodes in at this point and I'm still refining and and messing around with the art like you may notice like now I'm doing stuff in the middle of the week along with the, the episodes that I put out on the weekend so there's a ton of stuff that when you start something like this and it, it can be for anything it doesn't have to be for a podcast that it's going to get better over time and so he was because I in my mind I was like well it has to be perfect and I need it to be this and this and this and this and this and he kept telling me Put out your first episode. That's all. Just put out your first episode and then see what happens. And I learned some stuff because in that first episode with Jason Benetti, I thought I had like the audio aspect of it down and I didn't. And the episode sounds fine, but we were working off of one mic because I couldn't figure out some of the input stuff. The episode itself, I still think was really good. But it wasn't until I got to probably episode 10 where I felt from a technical standpoint, we were going in the right direction. So I want to want to thank professor Lowry for that because that helped me. Like it really helped me. And you talk about going to school, like the whole idea of me going to school, I went to school so that if, if I'm done with the industry or the industry is done with me, I wanted to be in a position to teach because I really like teaching. I really like work. I'm looking forward to the group of kids I have this fall at DePaul. But the byproduct of it was it opened my mind to so many different things. To this thing, and I don't look at House of L as, like, it's not, a money maker, like I'm not making my living off of House of L, but a little extra income is not a bad thing. And it's allowed me to share the wealth. Like I can pay people for their time. And learning some of the skills that I learned in Tuscaloosa was incredible. And the more I think about it, the more it really did prepare me for what it was that I was embarking on. So thanks to Dr. Lowry, Dr. Roberts, Dr. Bragg, all the great professors that I had that helped me get House of L to, to where it is and hopefully where it's going. Speaking of my awesome sponsors, shout out to David Hochberg. If you're looking to buy a house, you want to sell a place, you want to refinance, you want to figure out the dollars, Hochberg is the guy. He helped me with my place in Kenwood. He helped me get my house in Hyde Park. He can help you. 855-56-DAVID or go to his website, 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS number 1124061. Yeah, hit him up. 855-56-DAVID. And when you talk to him, tell him that you heard about him right here on this podcast where I was getting sentimental about Alabama. We're also brought to you by Mazda of Orland Park. ZoomZoomNation.com. 
They're good people out there. If you want a unique car buying experience, you should hit them up. 708-444-3200. And thanks to sponsors like them, I can actually build House of L uh, into a media giant. Ha, 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 ha. We're a very small company. We only have one person. Me. That's it. This week on the podcast, Courtney Guzman is my guest. Courtney's been doing a great job working for Channel 9 as a reporter and as an anchor, but she's got a really great story. We sat down and talked via Zoom about what's making her leave. Like, she's going to Cleveland to to be an anchor and do the news in Cleveland. So we talked about her experience here, what her life was like growing up in Chicago, and her life was difficult growing up on the South side, all the lessons that she took from her childhood and then added it to what it is that she does as an anchor and as a reporter. It's great to see her succeed. Really great. We also talked about the importance of, of historically black colleges and universities and what that experience taught her as well. I had a great time talking with her. She's phenomenal. And I think that She will be missed once she leaves Chicago. It sucks, but it's good for her, which is the most important thing. So here's my conversation with Courtney Guzman. And it starts out with her realizing that I'm way older than her. You're not old. I've been in the business. I'm 45. You're a liar. I'm not. I'm 45 years old. This past June. 45. Did you lose track somewhere? No, I... Are you saying that I'm I lost track and I'm actually older? No, I'm saying like you just started making it up after a while because you forgot. No, I'm so happy that I shaved my beard because I actually think that it takes like seven years off of me. <laughs> because when I grew the beard out, like all the gray hairs came out, like all of them. You look damn good, Lawrence. Well, you look damn good. Thank I, you. I never no wouldn't have guessed that. See, not at all. Not, don't ask me how old I am. Don't ask me. I'm not going to do that. I But but there is a lot of stuff that I do want to ask you, and I'm glad that you are available because I know that you're packing and you're trying to make all this stuff work. Congratulations on the gig, by the way. That is awesome. Thank you so much. I'm Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I'm so excited, but I'm so sad because, you know, Chicago is home. I grew up on the south side in Beverly. I went to Whitney Young High School. I've been working home for the past eight years, so I'm I'm really excited, but I'm really sad to be leaving behind my hometown and my family and friends and stuff like that. So it's never something that I thought would happen, but it's a really great opportunity. So so, so what what's to, the job going to be in Cleveland? So I'm going to Cleveland, the ABC affiliate in Cleveland, WEWS, and I'll be the evening anchor there. I'll be anchoring the 5, 6, and 11 p.m. So wow. I'll be getting some FaceTime there in Cleveland. Yeah. That so, is so major. The, and, and you know, and you know me, you know, I'm on the, the morning show here in Chicago, WGN Morning News. So actually, uh, I just have a couple of days left. I'm winding that down. It's just kind of surreal. But uh, yeah, it, it was an amazing opportunity. So I couldn't turn it down. No, you can't turn that down. You get the opportunity to be in the big chair in a good market. You, you got to go sit I'm trying to be down. like you, Lawrence. I'm, try- I'm trying to be like you. Oh, God, don't be like me. I mean, you're going <laughs> to. It's gonna, you're going to be old and some young person going to be like, you're how old? And then, you know. <laughs> First of all, I'm not young. I'm not young. So <laughs> you're so funny. I want to ask you about, about 
working at Channel 9, but I'd, I'd love to talk to you about what what it's like to get up early in the morning to do that. Because I sometimes, like I, especially now during the pandemic, like I have insomnia, I'll, I'll flip on the TV and you'll be out somewhere. And I'll be like, damn, like what time did she get up? So so what okay. what has this been like, like working that early morning shift for Channel 9? It's a beast. I'm not going to lie. I've been doing a morning show. Let's see. I've been home for eight years and I've probably been on the morning show for about four to five years now and you never get used to it. So my call is at 2 a.m. So before the pandemic, pre-COVID, I was actually driving into work having to be there at 2 a.m. And uh, that means I'm getting up at midnight um, because I don't live close to the station. So, you know, I got to get up, do hair and makeup and get there. Well, actually I do makeup and stuff when I get there, but I do hair before I leave the house. But yeah, getting up at midnight, being there by 2 a.m. Um, and then being on air by 4 a.m. camera ready. So hair, makeup, face, all and script written, standing in front of the camera, talking to you folks by 4 a.m. It's insane. It's insane. And you know, because I know you're friends with Courtney Hall and mm-hmm. she used to, she had a similar schedule. Um, you know, she came in a little bit later than me, but yeah, it's a beast. You never get used to it. You're always tired and forget the weekends. Like when you're off, it's like six o'clock, you're yawning. Like, where's the bed? <laughs> so. I had a, I had someone I worked with say a long time ago, cause I used to produce a morning show on radio a long time ago. And this person said, it's the only time when four and four doesn't equal eight. When you're talking about your sleep, if you yeah. work a morning show, you can try it. You can try. Well, I'll, I'll go to sleep at eight o'clock. I'll get up at midnight and then no. I'll take a, it doesn't work. Like there's nothing. Are we just not wired to do it? No. And you know what? It's so funny you say that because I've tried everything. I tried taking naps and that to me was worse for some reason, because I don't know if it's like I took a nap, so I had this false sense of being rested, and then I want to stay up all night, and then it's like, oh, well, if I go to bed now, I'll get two hours. It's okay, because I took a nap. Mm-mm, that's the worst two hours ever. You lay down, and you feel even more tired. <laughs> so it's like you just can't get it right on this ship. It's hard. It's it, so hard. It seems like it. So would it be fair to say that Channel 9 was your dream job, to be a Channel 9, being someone who grew up here? in Chicago was your dream job? Yes. I mean, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you this. When I first got to Chicago, I was working at Channel 2. Um, so that was eight years ago. And I was working with, get this, Bill Curtis, Walter Jacobson, Dorothy Tucker. That'll work. These are all legends that they hate to hear it put this way, but I grew up watching them, you know? And so... Um, to be able, Jim Williams, you know, to be able to call them colleagues was surreal. Like, you know, I, I was actually kind of starstruck when I started working at Channel 2. Like, I was like, oh my God, Bill and Walter are introing my story. Like, they're talking to me. Like, this is this is so surreal. So I walked in there like peacock proud. Like, I'm like, I can't believe this is my life. And so um, it was a great opportunity. But then to go to Channel 9, it's like Chicago's very own, you know, home of the Cubs, you know, where, where the Chicago Bulls play. You know, it was just, you know, the sports mecca. And everybody knows WGN. It's like the hometown station. So when I got there, you know, Allison Payne, she, Allison Payne wasn't here. But to know, you know, this is where she came from and Muriel Claire. And, you know, it was, it was just amazing. It was just, 
it's a dream. It's been a dream come true really to get home and, and work with these legends or in the same place and space as these legends have worked. It's been an honor really at that. You grew up on the South side, right? Mm-hmm. Beverly. Yep. What's, what did you feel like you learned from growing up on the South side? Um, I'll say as an adult, I learned life is not fair. And I say that because um, I traveled two hours to get to, to high school. I went to Whitney Young High School on the West Side. So I used to take the train to work every day. But I say that because um, as an adult, making it back to Chicago, and of course you realize this in things as a child, you look on the North Side and life is very, very different. And so, um, and I'm talking about the lack of crime and things of that nature. And so I, I see it now more as an adult. I see it now more covering it because I know I'm very cognizant of the fact that most of our crime in the city is on the South and West sides. And I learned how segregated Chicago is mm. as an adult. Um, I never thought about it as a child because you take for granted, this is your neighborhood. These are your people. These are your neighbors and everybody gets along. And when you step out of, outside of your comfort zone and you see how other people are living and you see that there's a Chinatown in a Ukrainian village and a, you know, Bronzeville where, you, you know, the Mecca of black folks. And then you start realizing, well, why is it like this? And so um, that that's something I learned from growing up on the South Side. I just wish it was more like a melting pot in the city of Chicago. Well, let me tell you that when I, I grew up not too far from where you grew up. I grew up in, in Roseland. I grew up on, uh, you know, 112th and Halsted, right? Mm -hmm. And I went to school. I went to college at DePaul. And it was such an experience for me the first summer that I was on campus. And I'm not embarrassed to say this, but it is embarrassing. When I first got to campus, one of the things that weirded me out was the numbers going the wrong way. Oh, because I never spent any time on the north side. So being like, wait, what do you mean the numbers get bigger the more you go north? Like, that's not how that works. Everything is, isn't, it's so strange. Isn't it? It's different. And it's, you know, it's different trying to get around on the north side. It's so elementary on the south side. You know, you're on 95th. The next block is going to be 96. And if, you head in, if you're heading south and you know if you start heading north, I must be heading north because now I'm at 94th Street. Right. You know, I grew up at I grew up on 95th and Oakley, so it was right off 95th and Western. I was two blocks from the plaza, so that was my life, like hitting up Ever Black, you know, going. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that, Ever Black Plaza. Let's go. <laughs> but you know what that life was like? How everyone used to hang up, uh, hang out at Evergreen Plaza. That that was that's where everybody went. And so um, that was my life. It was like two blocks away, you know, uh, our little Beverly crew from Whitney Young, we used to always, always take the Metra. And what I would do on the way to Whitney Young, sometimes my parents would give me bus fare for school. Well, they gave it to me all the time, but uh, I would take my little Metra money because, you know, Metra costs more. And instead of taking the Metra, I jump on the red line. I go further north, get on the red line, stash my money, and go shopping in New York and Co. when I made it downtown wow. like on the Jackson bus. So that's what I used to do. And, you know, I was a cheerleader in high school, too. So, you know, I used to uh, cheer for Hugh, Quentin Richardson and Dennis Gates and all of them who became like these big professional ball players and coaches and things. And so um, 
I used to stay after school all the time for, for cheer practice, but every now and then it got canceled. So when cheer practice would get canceled, I'd take a beeline to New York and Co and go get some clothes. <laughs> so, and, and my parents were none the wiser because I was supposed to be a cheer practice. Look at you, you know? working the system. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. No, nah, right? there's no, no doubt about that. That commute <laughs> that you were taking from Morgan Park all the way to, to, to Whitney Young, First of all, let's talk about the fact that you were living in the neighborhood with one of the biggest rivals of Whitney Young, and yet I know. you were taking the train. Like, what was what were those experiences like of you like being on the train, having to go so far to to go to school? What were those What were those winter mornings like? You know what? Um, it was kind of cool because it was a crew of us. So um, I had there were twins on my block uh, that had to go. We all went to Whitney Young. Uh, it was several of us. And, and I could probably start rattling off some names. You probably know some of these people. But it was a crew of us that all did the same journey. So those days when I did take the Metro, I, we would see each other on the train. We would sit together. You know, so it was actually cool. It wasn't too bad. Um, but I'll tell you some stories about when I started taking the CTA, the red line, I would be so entertained on that red line train because you would see everything, but I was no fool, or maybe I was because, you know, I used to carry a purse and stuff to school, but I always had my stuff clutched up or whatever, but times were different then. I sound like an old person saying this, but there were times I used to go to sleep on the red line, but I'd still be clutching my purse, but I'd be in the corner, like, you know, I'd be asleep, but I would never do that now. I would never do that now. But I learned to be alert and aware on the train. I learned how to get around. I learned to be independent and, you know, how to manage your funds. For <laughs> you sure. Know, riding the train and just how to be independent and, and just how to watch your back. That taught me how to be a true city girl riding the train because you can't just be out here like, oh, I'm on the train. No, you got to see what's going on behind you or in front of you, on the side of you. If something started popping off in my train car, guess what? I get up move to the next one like you know you just learn to be street savvy doing these kinds of things so was there a pride that went along with with there being a crew of you from from the the south side that was going to whitney young definitely and we were close we were close we used to always you know hang together when it was time to go to school and we would see each other in the neighborhood and we we had our own little beverly whitney young metric click so yeah yep and so, if, like I said, if I started naming off like Zena and Beate, they were twins. And then uh, Trey lived on the next block and Terry lived on the same block as me, too. And yeah, it was a whole bunch of us. Uh, we, we enjoyed it. And we still like that's our bond to this day. That's our bond. We were, we were the metric kids that went to Whitney Young from Beverly. I don't want to guess wrong with the. You went to Hampton, right? Yes, I did. HBCU. But I only talk about it like every other day. So, you know. <laughs> no, but but like I was I was like Howard. And I was like, no, 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 no. Don't say Howard. Don't say Howard. <laughs> I was going to have to come through that phone. No, I'm just playing. It's all love. It's all, it's all love when we talk about HBCUs. I love HBCUs. It was an amazing experience. I wouldn't take it back. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I loved my time at Hampton. I'm Greek. I became a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha at Hampton. Um, I got to learn about my people. I got to be around my people. I got to learn about my culture. It was an experience that was totally different. And I, I selected Hampton. I was supposed to go to U of I. 
picked out my dorm and everything. Had my roommate. My roommate was like my best friend from high school. We went down to U of I together, picked our dorms. We were straight. And at the last minute, I switched it. I was like, you know what? I need to get away from home. So I decided to go to Hampton. And it, it was close between Hampton and Howard. I'm not going to lie. Um, I got scholarships from both. And the difference was the phone call. So I called, I called Howard first. And I'm like, yeah, I have this presidential scholarship. I'm trying to figure out what I need to do to, oh, hold on, hold on. And I got transferred like five times. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, is this what it's like going to HBCU? So I was like, forget them. So I called Hampton. Hi, hi, ma'am. I have a presidential scholarship. I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to accept my, my package, my scholarship package. Oh, baby, congratulations, baby. We can't wait to get you on campus. Like, it was just like night and day. And I was just like, oh, I know where I'm going. Plus, you know, Hampton had that pretty dope waterfront. And it was just arena peaceful. I'm a water creature. I love water. So It's so funny that you say that. So I, I finished grad school last year. I decided to go back to school. And because I wanted, I've, I've been teaching at DePaul for the last, this will be year nine that I'm teaching wow. at DePaul. And I wanted to make sure that, when I'm done with the industry or the industry is done with me that I could walk into a classroom. So I got my master's mm-hmm. degree and I had a similar experience with grad school with, with Alabama roll tie. Um, oh. and, and the reason, the reason that it, what you said speaks to me is because I was looking at a couple different places and obviously I'm doing it online mm-hmm. and there's a tendency to treat online students like they aren't part of the university. And I remember with Alabama, I had started my application, but I didn't take the GRE because I, I, at the time I'd been out of college for 20 years. Like I was like, I'm not taking the GRE. And so they called me and they said, Hey, we saw that you started an application, but you didn't finish it. And we wanted to know why you didn't finish it. And like, Oh, you know, I've been working in the industry forever. I've been out of school for 20 years. And they were like, Oh, okay. A day later, the department chair called me and was like, if you'd like to come to Alabama, we'd like to have you at Alabama. And I was like, for real? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay, let me think about it. They sent me next day. I get an acceptance letter from them. Wow. Wow. And the acceptance letter is, I actually still have it. The acceptance letter came with this zip drive. And it was a welcome letter saying, we want you to be a part of the family in Tuscaloosa. And I was blown away by it. Like the idea of like actually being hospitable to people Mm -hmm. that you want in your university, it Mm -hmm. makes a, it makes a real difference. And every step of the way, while I was at Alabama, that continued to be the case even wow. though I'm I'm in Chicago, like I feel like I'm a part of the University of Alabama. And there's an old Aww. saying that there's no zealot like the converted. And that's mm. that's exactly how I feel. So right. I've been to campus seven times. Wow. I've actually met with my professors, like all of that stuff. And, so cool. and now I'm like a crazy Alabama fan. Like now I'm like like a ridiculous, crazy Alabama <laughs> fan. But your your experience at Hampton, like I'm sure that you felt like, oh, I belong here. Like I'm right. not being given the runaround. I right. actually belong in this space. 
I think it's something to do with that Southern hospitality. As you talk, I'm thinking Alabama, you know, Virginia, and then there's DC, you know, where Hampton is. And of course I'm a city girl, but I, you know, I left home because I had a lot going on when it was time for me to leave college. My mom died when I was 15 years old. And so with that was just like the spiral, just downhill spiral in terms of family life. And I wanted to get away. And that's one of the reasons why I opted not to go to U of I because I knew everybody from Whitney Young was going to U of I. And I just wanted something different. Not to mention the fact that I wanted to be around my own people. I wanted to learn about my heritage, you know, as an African-American. And I did college tours, you know, when I was still in high school. And so I got to visit Clark Atlanta and Spelman and Howard and Hampton and Southern and Xavier. And so I was, you know, I got to see these campuses up close and personal. So really like at the end of the day, like I fell in love with Clark, like just on the college tour. I loved Hampton, but I loved Clark for some reason. I don't know if it was that quad situation mm-hmm. and more houses right there. And I was just like, I was just feeling <laughs> that. I don't know. But for some, for some reason, I was really vibing with Clark. And so um, that's where I thought I was going to end up. But I, and you know what? I'm not even going to lie. A different world got in my head. So that, that, you cannot imagine the the impact of that show. It's just so major to this day. Like being able to watch that show as a black person and say, I'm going to college. I'm going like there was no question. I was going to college. It was just a matter of where. And so to have that black experience, but to see, you know, they say that Hillman is Hampton and Hampton is Hillman. Like that's that's what they say. Um that Hillman was molded after Hampton, but to be able to watch it on TV and, and see all these experiences and kind of strive for that, you know, the, the step shows and the Greeks coming through the cast and all this other stuff, like that was so dope. And so I, I'm not going to lie. That was something that really impressed me and made me want to go to an HBCU. And I just wanted to be around my people and, and see what that was like. Cause I had always been in a diverse school. I had always been in magnet schools. I went to a magnet grammar school. I went to a magnet high school. I had to test in for both. And I was around everyone, you know? And so truly a minority in these schools, but I always excelled. I was valedictorian in grammar school. And so I I did well in high school. And so I just wanted something a little bit different. And I love my experience. I talked with a fellow colleague and friend of ours and said that you were going to be on the podcast. And this person was like, I'm not saying this person was like, Courtney has an incredible story. And you alluded to it a little bit. And if it's too painful to talk about, I'm okay with you not talking about it. Like, I don't want you to feel pressured in talking about it. Mm -hmm. But that point of time after your mom dies, before you go to college, what was life like for you? It was hard. It was hard. So I was 15. I talk about this all the time. I'll I'll tell anybody this story because I know everybody has a story, right? And in time when you live and you learn, you just realize everybody has a story and it's like whether or not people opt to share it. And so I was 15 years old. My mom got pregnant. She was a high-risk pregnancy. So she had hypertension. She had high blood pressure um, before her pregnancy. And she was also high-risk because she had one fallopian tube. My mom had... Uh, suffered several miscarriages, some ectopic pregnancies, which is how she lost her one fallopian tube. And so when she became pregnant, it was literally a miracle. She got pregnant with one tube. And, you know, I told somebody this the other day, I'll never forget. 
when my mom told my sister and I that she was pregnant, my sister was younger than me and she told us she was pregnant, <clears throat> I made her cry. Cause she was like, I wanted to let you guys know I'm expecting. And I looked at her, I was like, you and dad are still having sex? And she was just like, <laughs> she cried. <laughs> she cried. And I was just like, I didn't think, you know, but you know, she was emotional, but it was really a miracle for her. And then to find out she's having that boy that she always wanted. She had two girls and they had tried and tried and tried to have this boy. And then later on down the line, she found out she was in fact having a boy. So she's like, I'm keeping it. Not to mention my grandfather, her father, my mom's father had died like a year prior to her getting pregnant. So she felt like this was divine. This was meant to be, this is the son that she always wanted. So she was keeping it, even though it was high risk, but the doctors told her you cannot go full term. And so um, with that, she was preparing for that. Now my mom was a nurse and she wasn't just any nurse. My mom was the head nurse at the University of Illinois in Chicago. Like she ran the ER in terms of nursing staff. And so she's pregnant at the time and she's in and out of the hospital because her blood pressure kept shooting up like ridiculous levels where she could have stroked out and, and died instantly, like 200 over whatever, like obscene levels of blood pressure. And so she would go in and out of the hospital as they were trying to control it. And so um, they were giving her steroids to develop my brother. And um, the last time she came home, it was like the week school started. I'll never forget, this is the first time we had to start school without her. Cause usually first day of school is a big deal. Mom is gonna take a picture. She's gonna take us to get new clothes. We got groceries in the fridge for the lunches. And then, you know, she's gonna take pictures of the first day of school and send us on our way onto the bus. Well, this was the first year she didn't get to do that because she was in the hospital. So she um, sent us off to school. Actually, she was in the hospital when we started first day of school. So she ended up coming home from the hospital like two or three days later. And I'll never forget um, saying my goodbyes to her that last time in the morning, um, knowing I had cheer practice afterwards. And so um, I came home from school, it had to be 6.30 at night. It was, it was dark, getting off the Metro, walking down my block. And I'm seeing all these cars parked on my block. My house is lit up. Every house, every light in the house is lit up. And I'm like, what's going on? It's like a party. Well, my mom had just got home from the hospital earlier that day. Like the night before I went to school, she had just gotten home from the hospital. And so <clears throat> it was people pouring out of my house. And I was like, what's going on? And so my godmother grabbed me when I came through the door. And she says, Courtney, your mom didn't make it. And I just looked at her like, what are you talking about? Like. What do you mean she didn't make it? She was here when I left. Like, what do you mean? I didn't know anything different. And so she just looked at me and said it again. And I lost it. I lost it. Like, my mom was gone. So my mom went to the restroom. Um, my grandmother had come to visit her to check on her and see if she needed anything. She had, she was swollen, you know, feet swollen and everything. Um, because of this toxemia, I mean, because of this hypertension and, and things like that. And uh, she was supposed to be on bed rest. And so she went to the bathroom and she was taking longer than normal. So they knocked. My grandmother and my aunt were there to see if she needed help, if she's okay, and no answer. And so finally they opened the door and my mom was laid out on the floor in the bathroom. So they called the emergency, they called 911. My mom was DOA. They took her to Little Company of Mary Hospital right down, literally blocks away from our house. And uh, she was DOA. 
So they had to deliver my brother by emergency cesarean. Um, and he was so small, he could fit in my hand. He was like a little rope. He, he was about a pound. He weighed like a pound when he was born. And he was so underdeveloped. She, she was carrying, he had been in her uterus for, she had been carrying him for six months at that point. So he was not full term. He was still, they were still trying to give him steroids to develop him. They knew they were going to take him early, but he wasn't ready yet. And so you could see through his skin, you could hold him with one hand. He was like a rat. That's what I used, that's what I always told him. You were as small as a rat. I could hold you with one hand at 15. And so we were sitting in the hospital. I had lost my mother. And then the doctors are saying, we don't know if we're going to keep this kid. Like the next 48 hours are crucial. And we were just like, please don't. Like she sacrificed her life so that he could live. She knew the risks that were involved in this. And she was doing all that she could to, to bring this baby out healthy and, and everything. And she ended up sacrificing her life for it. So please don't let him die too. So we get through the 48, 48 hour window. He was in an incubator. You know, we were like, we still don't know if he's gonna make it. Doctors kept pushing it back. Okay, another 48 hours, another week. And then we just kept inching along and inching along. And he finally made it home. I think it was after like three or four months. It was crazy. And so now to this day, my brother, he'll be in September. So um, wow. yeah, I've been through a lot. So, mm -hmm. What do you think? you can take from that because like, that's a life-changing moment for you and your sister. Like that's it. How do you even in, begin to process something like that? I don't know. <laughs> I guess just keep living because with that, you know, you, we had to grow up fast. You know, I didn't have the opportunity to really dwell on the fact that my mom wasn't here. Like, Yes, it was painful and yes, we had to get through it, but we had this baby to raise. Um, and a lot of it ended up falling on me and my sister. And so we had this small premature baby that we had to help raise. And, you know, that became the focus for us. And I think that's what helped us get through. So um, actually, I consider myself grateful to have known my mom for 15 years you know, because my brother never knew her at all. She never got to hold him and he was never held by her. And so to this day, you know, he's hearing me and my sister share stories about mom and he's, you know, like trips to great America when we all used to dress alike and, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And so going to haunted trails as a kid and, you know, just different Christmas time gifts and pictures and stuff. And so he can't share in that. And that breaks his heart and it breaks my heart to see him like that because he, he has no idea what a wonderful person brought what a wonderful person brought him into this world made sure that he made it into this world he never got to meet her he he was inside of her for six months and he never got to meet her like she sacrificed her life for him but she never got to meet him and he never got to meet her so, but we know she's watching over us well clearly clearly that is that is the case so were you tempted at all to stay at home because of everything that was that was going on? I I was, but then I realized I needed to get away. I needed something different. Um, it was a lot of pressure. It was a lot of stress. It was a lot of family stuff that happens. You know, any anytime anyone dies, 
ugly side comes out of people. And as a kid, I started seeing bits of that. Um, and so um, I just wanted something different. And so that's why I opted to get away and, and move to the East Coast, South of Virginia, just to try, you know, something different. Wow. I mean, that is, that's a lot for an 18 year old to, to carry with them off to college. Mm-hmm. So once, once you get to Hampton, is it, do you feel like, man, I can, I can kind of breathe and I can kind of build who I am out or were you longing to be at home? No, I was thrilled to be away. I was learning new things, new culture. I learned about go-go music. I learned that I hate go-go music. <laughs> like, I just, like, no, it was, um, it was an experience. I had a great time, you know, like I met some lifelong friends there and lifelong relationships were developed at Hampton. And to this day, like as I've become an adult and have been able to afford to go back, I love homecoming. And so that's why I'm really bummed that I won't be able to go back on campus this year and do Hampton hugs with my people and, you know, all that stuff. But it, no, I, I got a chance to really figure out who I am on a different level. You know, if I had gone to U of I, that might have been more of a high school situation trying to, I want to say try to fit into any cliques because in high school, I was a floater. Like I was just, I was a cheerleader. So I was, I was popular, kind of popular. People knew, knew who I was. But at the same time, I didn't really have like a clique. There were people that I, you know, would hang around a lot. But I didn't have like, you know, there are groups of people that always, you always see them together. You know that that's their crew. That wasn't me. Like I floated. So I could go and sit and be with any group. Like that was me. Like I'm a social butterfly. That that continues so, today. I see on the Instagram. I'm like, yeah, she's out here. She's out here doing her thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have like circles of friends here and there. And in Chicago, you find out Chicago is a, a small big city, right? Yep. Like everybody knows everybody. Like it's just especially in the black community, everybody knows everybody. And so it's kind of cool because you know, it's like, oh, you know, so and so. It's like one degree of separation, not six, one. <laughs> so, so you just learn, you know, you sit there and find out about all the cool different connections, and then you make more, you meet more cool friends because your your cool friend has a bunch of other cool friends, you know. So that's that's what I love about it. I want to ask you about the news and particularly the job that you do that I think is really difficult. There, there are times when you get a fun story early in the morning, but most of the time you get a tragic story. How do you deal with that? Like how, what, how do you wash that off when the, the your shift is over? Cause it just seems like you'll, you'll cover a crime. You'll, you're trying to find someone to talk to in a family that's just lost someone. How do you deal with it? Um, it's hard. And I was telling someone this the other day that, uh, two weeks ago I cried. Um, there was a a girl that was playing in Austin outside of her grandmother's house on the 4th of July that was shot in the head and killed. And, um, her family had a news conference like the day after it happened and her grandmother was inconsolable because it was her house. It happened at her house. She was just girl was six seven years old and she was outside playing on the fourth of july 
Independence Day in this country and she can't even be outside playing. And I'm listening to her grandmother talk about what she saw when she came out, her grandchild laying lifeless, bleeding on the sidewalk. When she was supposed to be out there playing, she had just went out there no more than, she said, no more than five, two to five minutes. And her aunt talked about how sweet this little girl was. She always told everybody she loved them. You know, even when she was with her classmates, that was the last thing she always would leave them with. And her aunt just said she would do anything for this little girl, anything for, and she said her life would never be the same. This auntie, this grown woman, losing this six, seven-year-old girl, the six, seven-year-old child said her life would never be the same after losing this child that was so full of love and it just broke my heart and I, I started crying. I mean, it's just, it's senseless. Um, I just covered 15 shot outside of a funeral. The mm. oldest victim was a 65 year old woman going to a funeral. You can't even mourn in this city. And it's, um, it's tough. And there is, I say there's a timestamp on this job. Like there's only so much because on my shift, they're still shooting when I come into work at 2 a.m. And that invokes fear itself, especially when we talk about these expressway shootings, driving into work, you know, coming from the South side, like you just don't know. And so, um, you know, sometimes I might drive a little fast so I can get there quicker so I'm not a sitting duck on this expressway. But I, this isn't something that I would think you could sit and do and, and talk about for years and years and years on end, there's a timestamp and there becomes a time when you realize enough is enough and I got to move on and I got to start talking about some other things because on my particular shift, that's a bulk, that's like 90 to 95% of what I end up talking about is the crime, is, is crime and what's happening, how many people got shot, who was killed and it does take a toll. And that's why you have to learn, you know, sometimes you have to learn when it's your time, when, when enough is enough, because it takes a toll on you physically. It takes a toll. It does take a toll. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And, and if it feels like this job in Cleveland is coming at a really good time for you, I mean, especially Chicago's interesting because you know how we are. Like all of us love Chicago. Like we love mm -hmm. being from Chicago and then we have our, our factions on love being from the South side. And then it gets even smaller. <laughs> love being from Morgan park, love being from Beverly, love being from Roseland, like all of these things. But yet I feel like we all also know how ugly things are. And my whole life and probably your whole life, we've been trying to figure out what some of the solutions are. And none of us seem to have any and and i'm not trying to, to dog any p politician because I, I don't know if they're i don't think that there are terrible ideas i think that a lot of people are trying to do the right thing to try to bring in into some of this violence but at some point we're all just kind of throwing our hands up like what do we do like and and then there's a guilt that's as you're trying to just live your life and because you're fighting every minute for trying to help out and, and have the city be seen in the same way that you see the city. I've talked about this before on the pod and, I, and I'll share it with you as a, as a fellow South sider and Chicagoan, the all-star game this year was so incredible to me. Yes. 
It was incredible because I've often felt like whenever Chicago is on a national stage, even sports-wise, the focus is downtown. Here's the bean. Here's some deep dish pizza. Like that. That's kind of <laughs> it, right? And that All Star Game was the blackest All Star Game <laughs> I've ever seen, and it was it was an homage to the South and West Side of Chicago. Like it that's was. and and it was beautiful. And what was crazy to me is seeing people like around the nation being like, oh, so that's what Chicago is like. Like, yeah, that's why we feel this way. When Common is up there for six minutes Mm. talking about the history of basketball in this city, we were all like, exactly. Yes, (laughs) that is exactly what it is. I I was blown away by it. And, And so seeing like that good and that bad about our city it's such a hard thing to square like that that equation is hard for us to figure out but we all kind of have that that sensibility of you love this city and yet you mourn and you you feel all that negative stuff too yes you do you more you definitely mourn because you know chicago is so great and it could be even greater if we could just get this crime together like so many people from the outside look in and say, oh, that's Chicago. I'm not going there. It's not safe. And then there are certain people that say, oh, you just stay downtown. You'll be fine. And that's not even the case anymore, you know? And, and it shouldn't be like that. It really shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to go live on the north side. I'll be safe. Oh, I'm going to live downtown. I'll be fine. Because that's not the mentality of Chicago. That should never be the mentality of Chicago. And as I mentioned earlier, we are a very segregated city. That's the one thing that I, I really hate about our city is how segregated we are because I feel like if we were more integrated we'd be more we'd really try and figure this situation out you know together as, as a united group but all-star was amazing on so many different levels I mean I had an amazing time that weekend and I saw a different side of the city out I'm not gonna lie I spoiled myself all-star weekend I booked a room at the Langham just because right so I was like I was hearing that's where all the ball players are staying, right? So I'm checking in and the service was amazing. Like I had never stayed, who stays at a hotel in their hometown? Right? Sure. Like you're right here, you got a house here. Why, why stay at a hotel? But I was just like, I'm going to do it for All-Star Weekend just because. So I, stay, I book a room at the Langham and then um, I'm checking in. First of all, the valet, I'm pulling up. It's bumper to bumper traffic. It's insane, right? So the valet comes, he opens my door. You need help with your luggage, ma'am? Oh, yes. Like, he was just the sweetest thing ever. So he's, like, radioing it in. Like, you know, she, Mrs. Gooseman is on her way in to check in. And I'm like, oh, my God. This language is just, wow. I had been there for tea and stuff, but never to stay. And so, um, kid you not, I'm walking in. They're taking my bags up. I get off the elevator. And at the front desk, I see this tall, statuette black woman with, like, long braids down her back. And I just look, I'm like, hey, sister, yeah, she's cute. Slender build. I did a double take. I'm like, that's Gabrielle Union. That means white man is here. (laughs) 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 So I was just like, I was so hyped up. So I had, um, I was was on my way to go out to Common's party, you know, because he had the day party and everything. And then he had the night party. I went back for that. I mean, it was just an amazing experience experience it really was i had a great great time wait is someone at your door is that what i heard it is 
All right. All right. We we can we can end the podcast right there. That's a good way to end it. Go answer your front door. It's totally fine. I'm so mad that's the landscaper. <laughs> I think they just finished up outside. I'm getting some some landscaping work. So, you know, uh before I leave, so my house looks good. <laughs> so. Well, good. I'm I'm really happy for you in Cleveland. And I, I think that it's going to be a wonderful experience and you probably need a mental break of that, that shift and everything that goes along with that shift. So Mm -hmm. congratulations. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Lawrence. I appreciate that. And thank you for having me on. Like I'm so honored because I've been watching your podcast and and all the guests that you've been having on over the years. And I'm like, I'm going to be on. I was like, I love Lawrence. And you know, like, I feel like I don't get enough of you because like, you know, like my friends and like we we have like like I said, one degree of separation, right? And black so Chicago like, and well, black South Side Chicago and black media is. Chicago. It's like it is. you you mix it all in and everybody's hanging out together, you know? It's like, yeah, we all we are it's one big big circle. So but um I'm honored to be on your pod. Thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, offering me up some time, especially, you know, at this time. So I'm excited. So. Well, but, th- I, you know, like I said, I always love my city, love Chicago, and I'm going to miss Chicago. But I'll be home. You're probably going to see more of me now. Because I'll be out when everything opens up. I'll be out. I'll be like, hey, Morris, I'm at the party. <laughs> okay. Well, here, here's the thing. Once things, hopefully we get a vaccine. Uh, once once no, we get a like, going out without one. <laughs> I'm really not. Um once we once we get a vaccine and or things get to a, a place that's healthy and you're back, I owe you drinks, all right, for doing this for for my oh, podcast. No, you don't owe me a thing. No, I owe you. Thank you so much. I'm honored. We'll find we'll find a Jay Illa DJ party and we'll <laughs> kick it there. All right? <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thank, thank you, you so, much so much for this. I appreciate it. Good luck. And if you need anything, holla. All right. Thank you so much. Mwah. I'll see you soon, hopefully. I'm going I'm to come. I'm going to doorbell ditch. I'm going to knock on your door and, and just be like, hey, Lawrence, it's probably sad because I know you're not coming out. <laughs> <laughs> for you, I, I'd at least sit, I'd be like, hey, come. we can come hang out on the deck. Like, you can come to the backyard. <laughs> we can hang out there. It's all good. All right. Be good, trouble. All right, thank you. Some good trouble right here. Good trouble. Good trouble indeed. I'll thank see you. Thank you so much. Take care, Al. That was kind of a bittersweet episode and interview because I really like Courtney Guzman, and I think that she's a really good representative of the South Side and and on Channel 9. Like I enjoy watching her on Channel 9. So I do feel like it's a loss for Chicago media. I think she's great. Like, I think that she has a lot of fun. You can tell, like, listening to her. Like, she's a, a lot of fun. And she's of here, so it hurts a little bit more that someone that's from here and of here, that they're not going to be working on the stories. Because there, there's something to the idea of having having some baseline knowledge of how the city works what neighborhoods you're going into, like being someone that can speak the language of particular neighborhoods when you're covering that. And I just think that her personality, even when she's doing serious stories, I think her personality comes through. So I'll, I'll miss 
having Courtney Guzman on the TV here in Chicago. And I know a lot of other people will too, but I, I completely understand where she's coming from. I used to work a morning shift a long time ago. It's the worst, the worst. I actually think that it's worse than doing an overnight shift. So here's the, here's the difference. If you're like, what are you talking about? So an overnight shift starts at night, starts before uh, it, it's midnight. And then it ends sometime in the morning. Like you're done by 5, 36 o'clock. When you're talking about that shift, that early morning shift, your day starts at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning and then goes till like 10 or 11 o'clock. You're all screwed up. Your body clock's just completely off. And it doesn't matter. Whatever, everyone has their methods of what they try and do to feel normal. But no one feels normal except for, I would say, after a Friday afternoon nap, you feel normal until Sunday, until Sunday morning. And then the dread of, oh, I've got to go to sleep at 6 o'clock at night when the sun's still up in the summertime and all this stuff, it's it's a difficult life. So I understand that, that Courtney's making a choice for her life. Her being a news anchor, it helps her professionally, but it also just allows her to like let her cells like be restored and all that good stuff. So I'm glad that she's getting the opportunity to go to Cleveland and be an anchor. And I, I bet that Cleveland is going to love her the way that people here in Chicago love her. So big thanks to Courtney Guzman and good luck to her making the move to become an anchor in Cleveland. That interview in this episode is being brought to you by our fine friends at Mazda of Orland Park. If you're looking for a unique car buying experience, go there. Check them out. Go get yourself a CX-5. Very simple. ZoomZoomNation.com or you can call them at 708-444-3200. Tell them that you heard about them on the House of L podcast. Be like, Lawrence had Courtney Guzman on the House of L podcast, and he was talking about how great the people are at, at Mazda of Orland Park. So I thought I'd come here and buy a car. Tell them that. Like, exactly that. Say it exactly the way that I said it. Got some emails. I threw it out there that I wanted some people to maybe come and um, do some web designing for me, because I think I'm going to do some stuff with, like, like a House of L podcast. I think I may have figured out what I want to do, though. We'll see how, how the podcast looks over the next few days. Like, I like Libsyn a lot for the uploading of the podcast. It's just that it's a little antiquated when it comes to the look of the direct downloads. And I know you're probably listening on Apple or Spotify or Stitcher. It's an aesthetic thing for me. Here's an email from Jerry. Oh, by the way, if you want to email the podcast, you got a an idea about a guest or whatever, you can hit me up, houseoflpodcast at gmail.com. Jerry says, hey, Lawrence, I hope you're well. I thought I'd throw an email at you about the questions you asked at the end of the podcast with Kat Garcia. Yeah, you should go back and listen to that episode. It is really, really good. Jerry goes on to say, what would I do if I had a 2016 World Series ring? Probably not much. I don't wear jewelry and don't like being the center of attention. Two things that don't tend, don't lend themselves well to walking around with a massive bling ring on. I'd also be worried about losing it and couldn't enjoy what I was doing because I'd constantly be checking on it and looking to see if anyone was looking at it. I think I'd put it in my safe and probably on display 
when people come over, but not by wearing it. I'd have it in a nice lighted case so people could check it out. The only exception would be if I was going to a Cubs official event and would then wear it out of respect to the team that gave it to me. He goes on because I was joking about well, whether or not I, as a White Sox fan, should wear a Cubs World Series ring. He says, should you get one if the Cubs win and you're the host of the Raw show? Yep. I think you deserve it, and it would be a great story. Should you wear it? Yep. But I'd say you are the only obligated to wear it once and only at an official Cubs function of some kind. That's the path I would take if I somehow got a White Sox ring being a Cubs fan. He goes on to talk about how much he enjoyed the, the Hamilton episode and learned a lot from uh, the, the work that Professor Foster and Professor Baracy gave us. So I, I thank you very much for that. Thanks, Jerry. I, I appreciate the, the email. Yeah, man. I, I mean, the Cubs are off to a great start. They're off to a great start. I don't think that Rossi would ride for me the way that Joe would have, though. We'll see. We're still building our friendship. But I think that Joe saw the comedy in, you know, if we win, you'd probably get a ring as a White Sox fan. I think that he saw the comedy in that. I don't know if, if Rossi would, but it's interesting. But I do thank you. I uh, thank you so much for sending that email. It's uh, it's fun to even think about. But, yeah, Kat found her ring, and she hit me up, and she sent me some pictures of it. I might do a little something with it and throw it on the, the YouTube page, like a little video type deal and, and and talk about that. So we'll see. But I do thank you for the email. This show is brought to you by the kindness of, of someone like David Hochberg. If you're buying or selling a home, if you're going to refinance your home, you need to hit up David Hochberg, okay? 56david.com is the website. 855-56-DAVID is the phone number. And again, tell him that you heard about him here on the podcast. That's important because it lets advertisers know that there is actual reach. Now, I can show them the numbers of how many people listen to particular episodes or how many people download the podcast overall, but it helps when there's an actual voice on the other side of the phone. And if it matches up, like, don't just call them to bother them. But if you actually are thinking about doing some of this stuff with your home, Hit them up and let them know you heard about them right here on the House of L podcast. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender, NMLS number 1124061. I'm excited at the direction that the podcast is going in, and I feel like I've made significant progress over the last couple of weeks in that regard. So there's going to be more stuff. We we went over 500,000 unique downloads, which is crazy. And when we first started, I was like, 500 would be acceptable for that first episode. To get to 500,000 is amazing. And looking at the projections, I'm looking at us being at a million by this time next year. And that is has everything to do with the support that people have given this podcast and the great guests that we've had on, like Courtney Guzman and everyone else that's been involved with it. Um, so I thank you so much. For being a part of this podcast. Onward and upward, right? Subscribe. Give it five stars. Write a review. Let me know where you're. Let, let the people on Apple know what your favorite episode was. Like all that good stuff. Thanks for your support. 
I got a Mitch Trubisky episode coming up. Like, for real. It's coming up later on this week. All right? Talk to you then. Peace. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.